Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. I think we'll go ahead and get started with introductions. Um, welcome back. As is our tradition, we generally go around the room and say our names. And one of the things I like to do when facilitating is to um, actually ask if people would like to share any word or phrase or theme that has been coming up for them in the last few days or weeks. Um, and sometimes I think that we should put this together and write a poem every week. But um, So after you say your name, if you would like to share, please feel free to share that word or phrase. And if not, feel free to say pass. Um, so my name is Peter Dell, and just this moment. Douglas, <coughs> pass. Andre, hope. Charlie, joy. Rich, sky. Tom, equality. Cast. I'm grateful I'm not a turkey. <laughs> I'm Chris, and I'll pass. Matt, I pass. Peter, introspection. Uh, Gary, fear. I'm Kay, pass. Jen, transition. I was asking if people would like to share their name and any phrase or word that's been coming up for them all the Acceptance and laughter. Kenneth, faith. Don, accepting uncertainty. George, compassion. Roy, balance. Adrian Tiller, self acceptance. Paul Shepard, awareness. Scott Holloway, balance. Jerry Pass. Jerry, uh, gratitude. Peter, 1978. <laughs> Clint, 2008. <laughs> 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 Brian, Pass. Lee, I'm regretful that I've lost an opportunity for creating sympathetic joy because I'm not a turkey. <laughs> uh, Mark, pass. Just on collaboration. Uh, Will, uh, renunciation. My name is Ray Dyer, uh, gratitude. Leor, time. 
Also, Mishplaki. <laughs> and um, we'll, I'll ask Danny a little bit later, but if uh, there are new people or people who have been away after a long time, so if you could just raise your hand so um, we don't know. Okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> it is my uh, sincere pleasure to introduce Osul Jennings. Um, uh, and I'll read his introduction, and then um, we'll have about 40 minutes with Osul, some time for questions. Um, Osul is a meditation master and healer, trained by several eminent masters from Tibet in the tantric traditions of yoga, philosophy, and contemplation, through which he specializes in the teachings and transmission of the lineages of Buddha. You might have to help me with this, Osul. But, uh, Pamasambhava. Yes. Pamasambhava. Uh, thank you. Pamasambhava. And the Lotus Speech Mandala. He currently studies universal wisdom, soul transformation, and the ascension process with Qigong master, uh, Grandmaster. Li Tian Chen of Dharma, <coughs> who is the founder of the Tian Gong International Foundation located in Berkeley. He has fulfilled his aspiration in life to own a taco stand in the San Francisco Bay Area while being happily married to a beautiful Chinese woman who is secretly a mirthful Scottish witch. <laughs> Osul's passion in life comes from the desireless lotus of primordial beauty, uh, purity, excuse me, the fundamental nature of all beings and all things which he hopes to share with you today. It's really an honor to be here with all of you. I enjoyed my time here on our last meeting. I learned a lot about myself and all of you. And uh, the one thing that really stuck out for me was the sense of community. And so that um, provided me with a lot of uh, faith and inspiration and confidence to be able to communicate on the theme of what it means to be our own best friend. Can everyone hear me? I need to amplify a little bit. Yeah, so <clears throat> last, time, last time we talked about what it means to be your own best friend or using the Dharma, the application of the Dharma to discover what it means to be our own best friend. That is fundamentally what the, the Dharma is. It is a means to discover the truth of who you are and where that, where that resides, which is in our own hearts. And practically speaking, we're all here because we want to be happy. We're all here because we need healing in life. And that's the, like, the fundamental level of human existence. If we're aware of this, if we recognize this in this day and age, we're really lucky. We're like supremely fortunate to truly understand and have the, that level of self-honesty and self-realism that we want to be happy and we, we don't want to suffer we need, and we need healing. And that is the basis of, of the Dharma. That is what the Dharma is. And that Dharma is, is who we are. That is our self. And we, when we acknowledge that, when we recognize that, if we have the fortune to acknowledge and recognize that, then we fundamentally discover this beautiful path in life. And with that path is, is what it means to be our own best friend. The path of Dharma is what it means to become our own best friend. In spiritual language, it means to become a bodhisattva or a Buddha, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about it in a very like, practical sense, in a very nuts and bolts sense, because that's what we all need. You know? We don't need to like, put on the spiritual con 
with our brothers and sisters and say, you need to be Buddha, you need to be Bodhisattva. We need to be good human beings. You know, we're all just trying to be good human beings and we know how difficult that is. And there's a very special way in which we can be very good human beings. And it's to come into contact with the contents of our own heart and to empower ourselves to become our own best friend, to keep it that simple. Which means we're searching to just become accountable to ourself. It's what I really appreciate about the tradition in which I was trained, which is called Dzogchen, or the Great Perfection of Wisdom, is that they don't teach Dharma, they don't teach spirituality or anything special. What is conveyed is just the very essence of who we are and how to how to have an immediate experience of that, you know, and how to burn through the veils of illusion or our, our khan, you know, which is the incessant voice of our ego that's trying to convince us that we're no good or that we suck or this, that, or the other thing, you know. It's just very direct and very straightforward. It's how to be your own best friend. And there are many levels, of course, within that. There are many like very profound and subtle levels that we enter into. But the first level is to come into complete acceptance or a warm and loving embrace of ourselves. So the means that we use on this path of becoming our own best friend is love. Is love. Because we, we all need nurturance. We all need to nurture ourselves back into like a healthy space where we feel safe and we feel secure and we feel supported and cared for. And we all know what a difficult time we've had in providing that for ourselves. And that's why it is very beneficial to use the, the means of the Dharma to discover or rediscover what it means to care for ourselves, to love ourselves, to nurture ourselves, to be able to do these things for ourselves, to develop the capacity or the tools, the wherewithal to do this for ourselves. Because then if we do this for ourselves, of course we're going to do this for others because it's our birthright. Our birthright is in through doing this for ourselves, we are naturally going to do this for others. It's implicit in the process. It's encoded in the process. The process is therefore compassion. The means to engage in that process is through love, loving ourselves, totally loving ourselves. So let's take a moment to align our hearts and just look deeply within ourselves. <coughs> on how, like very specifically how we need to love ourselves. Like look at your life right now. Let's look at our lives right now, like what's happening in our lives, whether it's good or bad, whether it's appearing as positive or negative. Look at the fundamental aspect or dimension of your life, your existence, where you need to love yourself, where you need to nurture yourself, where you need to develop this sense of care this healthy attitude. That's all the Dharma has to offer. That's all Buddha has to offer. That's who Buddha is. That is who you are, who we are. Look 
let us look at what we need, what we want, in terms of loving ourself, healing ourself, nurturing ourself. And then in coming into contact with that, let us establish an intention to have that experience and realization today. Because any time that we come together in a sacred space, in a safe space, together as brothers and sisters, transformation can and will occur if you want it. That is the code of the Dharma. That is the code of the process of compassion. The path of becoming your own best friend. It is implicit. Whatever you want, you will. So will what you want. Will into existence what you want through coming into contact, through honest self-evaluation and investigation of what you need to do right now to heal yourself, to experience acceptance and love. Firmly establish your intention to manifest your will for the sake of compassion and love. The path of awakening, this path of awakening relies upon ourself, re relies upon <clears throat> our ability to do this for ourselves all the time, in every single moment. Open your heart to yourself, extend yourself in a way that you never have. Find out that secret thought in your mind, the secret thought of fear perhaps that limits you, or the very obvious guilt and shame that you carry for whatever reason, and give yourself permission to put that down completely, to let it go, because that is only the voice of ego. And I'm simply here to remind myself by reminding you that you don't have to listen to any voice in your head. You don't have to. That's all meditation is. <laughs> Non-listening. Because the energy of the universe is sound. The path of meditation is non-listening, and it begins with your thought. When you, don't, when you no longer listen to your thought, you enter into the energy of the universe, which is sound. But it is the energy of the universe that gives rise to your thought. This sound occurs as thought in your head, in your heart. But you don't have to listen. can engage in non-listening, then everything that appears and seems to occur within the context of our lives becomes very interesting. 
it becomes completely negotiable. You know what I mean? There's a lot of space there. There's a lot of room to participate with the energy that's happening within your being, within your life, within our lives. But look at what it is that convinces you, that convinces us, that you have to believe in that, that thought. What is the mechanism inside that's causing you to believe in the reality of your thought? This mechanism, or these mechanisms in Buddhist terms is called karma. That is, the, that is called the cause. Karma is the cause. The suffering we experience is not karma. It is, to, it is the condition that karma creates for us. Look at the mechanism, these mechanisms that cause you to believe in the reality of your thinking, whether positive or negative, that then create the conditions of your existence that either produce temporal happiness or temporal suffering. What are these mechanisms? Anger, desire, ignorance. And what holds those three things together is fear. So basically, we need to examine the mechanism of desire, of wanting. <clears throat> because it is wanting that keeps us going it's wanting that brought us here today some want is very useful right? some desire is very useful and some want is not useful all we have to do is find out what is useful and what isn't what serves and what doesn't Is it a useful thought to think, I'm bad, I'm no good, I feel guilty, I feel ashamed, I'm afraid. These are all just thoughts, these are all just experiences. Is it useful to believe in those? This is the power that we have. This is about self-empowerment, not self-entitlement. It's about self-empowerment. This empowerment is releasing yourself from believing in anything whatsoever about who we think we are. This is free will. We have free will, but we, I think we don't exactly know how to use it. We use it in a distorted sense or a corrupted sense because we think because whatever we think, we can have, or we can do, or we can say, or we have permission to be. But is that useful? Does it serve? That is, does it empower the eradication of those karmic mechanisms, the unraveling of those mechanisms, the dismantling of those mechanisms? Like, look at what, look at what you think about yourself. All across the entire spectrum of yourself physically, materially, financially, mentally, emotionally, sexually, spiritually. 
Look at all the ways in which we uphold an identity, all the different ways in which we think about ourselves. There are like many levels. There are five like primary ways in which we think about ourselves that relate to our physical existence, our mental existence, our emotional existence, our psychic slash sexual existence, which also means creative, and our spiritual existence. Look at the ways in which we think about ourselves. And we have these identities, these different identities. And these constitute the seeming reality of our existence. This is our identity. We believe all these in all these different ways about ourselves. Who said you had to believe in any of those ways? All the things that we think about ourselves in all those different ways. Who said you are a body? Fundamentally, when we believe in the body, we are it's in, it's incumbent upon us then to uphold the desirous impulse of physical existence because we are constantly identifying with our body. We believe in our body. We believe we're just a body. So we work for the belief in our body. Our whole life is largely spent supporting the existence of this belief in the body. But it's just an idea. The belief in the body is just an idea. If you can pass through the idea, you can see the fundamental nature of the body, which is emptiness. There's no body, just as there's no mind. So that is one example. We constantly are supporting and validating the belief in the existence of ourself as a body. And from there, all the other beliefs about ourselves spring in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our physical reality that we create around us, which creates the constant swing between wanting and not wanting, between hope and fear, afraid of not getting, being afraid of losing, and this is what constitutes like the endless struggle that creates suffering in life. But it's all predicated upon basic beliefs, what we believe about ourselves, in any way whatsoever. And then that also reflects on everything that we are conditioned to believe about others. We don't actually see other people. We might not even actually love other people. What we think we love or what we think we hate our ideas, our own ideas reflected in other people. Do we actually really know other people? Do we actually really see other people? Probably not. That's why like Buddhism or other spiritual paths teach compassion, like having compassion and engaging with compassion in other people's suffering because it brings us into an immediate experience of who, like, who another person actually is. And the same is true you know, with the world in general. We don't see the world. We don't see reality. We see our thoughts. We see our ideas about what we want. You know? That being said, 
we can we have the power just to bring it back, bring everything back home and in a single instant through recognizing that we can believe in anything whatsoever, in any given moment, in any given situation, no matter what's happening. I had a powerful experience many years ago. I had this dream, and it was, it was a lucid dream, and it was kind of like a past life memory. It was during World War II, and I was in Poland, and I was in this bombed out church with, with all these like children and women. They were kind of like refugees. And the place all around was getting bombed. And I saw like this plane flying above the sky and, and there was I saw this bomb come out of, of the carriage on the underside of the plane. It was coming like straight down on top of us. And I felt so happy. I grabbed all these children to me and I was like, We're gonna liberate ourselves now. And it was like such an empowering and enlightened moment because I realized when I came out of that experience, I could have been completely terrified, but there was something in me that saw it as an opportunity. You know? So this, was, this dream was like a gift for me to, to reawaken and to remember that my mind fundamentally has like total flexibility. I have total flexibility. You know? And that's what like the path of being your own best friend, like using the Dharma or using spiritual applications to discover the truth of who you are, gives you just flexibility to be a good person, to really be the person that, that you want to be. I'm 37, I'm going to be 37 in a couple of weeks. Like, I'm, I'm getting really close to being the person that, that I want to be. It's just the person that I am. You know, I used to be like pretty far out here. Even with all this spiritual energy and spiritual momentum, I was still like living way out here. You know, I had a lot of conceptual experience. But when I entered into this path again in this life, like the one vow that I took was that I'm going to end all suffering in my life. Like when I took refuge again in this life, the vow that I took was I'm going to end all suffering in my life. Like I swore to that. And that has safeguarded me and empowered me to go through like tremendous transformational experiences without like losing a shred of faith in the fundamental goodness of who I am. And that's really helped me just kind of wind it all the way back just into a heart space. Just to be like a sincere person unto myself and a real and honest person unto myself. You know? And how I've learned to use the Dharma is to question, you know, the integrity and authenticity of my existence by investigating where does fear exist in my life? Where's the secret thought, you know, that I'm tricking myself, that, that arises to trick me into believing in who I think I am in any given moment, in any given situation. Like the path, this path of love and this path of compassion is... It's not like a wishy-washy thing. It's not a soft kind of like undertaking that allows us to assuage like our feelings of insufficiency or insignificance. It's ruthless because it's the love that destroys your pride. Pride is the pretty face that fear wears. It's the beautiful face of our fear that can convince us and other people you know, to hop into bed with ignorance like that without even questioning. 
ruthless investigation and self-analysis is what this kind of love engenders. And it's what supports you and me to truly be a friend to other people. Like, think about how much like suffering you tolerate in other people because we're afraid of our own. But if you're not afraid of your own suffering because you are empowered to discovering this flexibility of your mind to investigate the nature of things as they arise, you can really hop right in there and be of use and service to other people through helping them and their con spoil their game. And that's, you know, that's what brotherhood is about. That's what fellowship is about. That's what being brothers and sisters in community is about, is helping each other end suffering. End our suffering. Suffering is not abstract. It's also not real. <laughs> but how we discover that is through learning, training ourselves not to believe in what we think about anything. But then we might ask, well then, how do I function if I don't believe in what I think? That's a very good question. You know? That's a really good question. And that's like with the path of meditation empowers us to do is live in the reality constantly of that question. But we don't, we don't want to live in the reality of that question, do we? We want to live in the reality of the answer and be the one who has the answer and therefore be right. You know? That's like that's where rightness is. Like the the person who like wants to be right, who wants to have it all figured out, is the person who doesn't want to live in the path of the question. Who doesn't want to question their own thinking. Who prefers suffering over the experience of liberation. Why? Because we don't know what liberation means anymore. We've forgotten. But there's no liberation. There's just not believing in your thought. In any given moment, in any given situation. And having that kind of flexibility empowers your energy to refine itself and to purify itself and spontaneously arise into the open dimension of space where you can perceive the Buddha body of reality. It's here. But when we're believing in the reality of our thinking, we're locked. This is locked. And it gets locked and it gets ratcheted down further and further all the way into the root where our vitality is like completely constricted and limited. We have this one-track mind that thinks I, 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 24,600 times a day with every single breath. That's a lot of ego and it's constant.
I know firsthand. It's hard to break through that. But how we do is just to like learn. Don't believe yourself. Don't believe your thoughts. Then you practice meditation 24 hours a day. Don't believe your thoughts. Don't chase your dreams. Spoil your own game. We're all looking for heroes. This is how we become a hero, is to spoil our own game. Then you don't need a guru, you don't need an idol to worship, you don't need anything. You don't need anything. If you like, are willing to risk your concepts about what you think you need, we don't need anything. That's real love. Not needing anything, that's real love. We don't need anything. <clears throat> but we're looking all the time. We're always looking for something. This looking gets us in trouble. Trouble is just like this self-existent angst that exists, you know? Like this little splinter in our mind, always there, you can feel it. It just will not let you rest. We want to rest. We need to rest. When we can come to a place of rest, then we'll experience happiness and healing and joy. have to be merciless with ourselves in the most compassionate way. <clears throat> Give yourself permission to not tolerate suffering within your own being. Unless it's given to you as a gift from God or from Buddha to really purify and break through the seed of death that exists inside of you. Then take that suffering totally. Otherwise, do yourself a favor in the world and just stop believing in suffering. Then you'll have relaxation. Then you'll have joy. Then you'll have community. Then you'll have every single thing. Ushbaki. Buddhist teaching is predicated upon wisdom. Wisdom is incisive and profound. It's cutting through immediately. Cutting through. Mahayana Buddhism is based on Prajnaparamita, the mother of wisdom, cutting through with love. Cutting through with love. Cut through yourself with love. 
Thus, you discover your integrity. All of your thoughts, words, and deeds go in the same direction. When all of your thoughts, words, and deeds harmonize with each other and flow in the same direction, we have integrity. From there, we discover our dignity, the nobility of having been cut through completely and upright and virtuous. We become natural, which is humble. This is really kind. It's really kind with yourself. It's really how to be kind with yourself. It's to cut through. Joy, humor, whatever. Whatever it takes. Everybody's different. <coughs> We all want happiness. But what do we do about that? What do we do about wanting happiness? We try to get something. We want happiness, we try and go get something. Some teaching, some empowerment, some transmission, some love, some food, some sex, some clothes, whatever. The world. Instead, find your suffering, find your ego, find your pain, find your fear. Look at the embarrassment of your desire and how it rules you and how much shame and guilt that produces inside of you. and deal with that and resolve it and then you'll be happy not happiness just happy happy fundamentally because that's who you are but that's what's buried inside all the bullshit look at anger what you think makes you angry And that's how your that's how our ego our ego ridicules us. Desire, the desire of our ego embarrasses us. The anger of ego ridicules us. Your anger ridicules you. Look at the anger, how anger ridicules you. Ha ha. That hurts a lot. Inside there is happiness. Because if you're not being embarrassed and ridiculed through this incessant internal like dialogue, either between the embarrassment of ego or the ridicule of ego, you have just peace. And then the frustration <coughs> of ignorance, of ignorance, of ignoring the truth of who you are, which is what gives rise to the belief, the desire to believe in thought. 
So, to summarize, the path of becoming our own best friend is engendered necessarily by the process of compassion. What does that mean? The process of compassion means that we are merciless in this love that destroys our pride, which is the love that is ruthless in tracking down desire, anger, and ignorance, wherein true and lasting happiness and enlightenment reside. So the path of meditation and the application of that meditation is to cut through your belief in all of your thought and then to penetrate once that thought is cut through with the energy of purifying this desire, anger, and ignorance. It's very simple, very direct. There's two paths, calm abiding and penetrating insight. It's called shamatha and vipassana meditation. <clears throat> These two things are flip sides of the same coin. How we use those is to, one, not believe in our thought. That's calm abiding. Penetrating insight is to totally go after desire, anger, and ignorance. The twofold path of meditation is the method of wisdom and compassion, the two wings that give flight to Buddha's teaching. How you use them, don't believe in your thought. Automatically, that's calm abiding meditation. Chasing down desire, anger, and ignorance as it exists in you. Not abstract, but seeing actually how that exists in you and unraveling those karmic mechanisms is the path of insight. Those two paths combined are what give rise to lasting happiness, i.e. enlightenment. And there are many levels of enlightenment. Don't believe in your thought. Purify anger, desire, and ignorance. And you have it all. You are the path. You are the path. So, walk it. Thank you. We have a few minutes for questions. Yes, sir. Um, oh, sorry. I've heard a number of times sexuality and creativity being put on the same plane with each other. Yeah. I wondered if you could elaborate a little bit. I think you know for yourself. Mm. I do. Yeah. I mean, sex is union. It's union, right? But it's union with yourself. When you're inspired, you're in union. You're creative. Yeah? The, creative the creative impulse arises. Not as creativity, but as the act of creation. You know, having been born is a metaphor for the manifestation of creation itself. That exists within us. That is the sexual impulse. It is creation. We experience as creativity through our what? Individuality. Individual creation is creativity. Yeah? It's you. When you're inspired, that's sex. Because you're in union and harmony with yourself. Therefore, it's easy to experience union and harmony with all beings and things. It's called interpenetration. Right? Interdependence, it's interpenetration. Such is the nature of reality. Reality is sexual. It's the creative dimension of existence. It's happening all the time, everywhere. It's ecstatic and spontaneous. Bliss. Right? Yeah. 
Yes. Oh, um, you're talking about e the ego, and the thought kept coming to me that when we talk about egotism, we're talking about usually about puffing ourselves up and being proud, but it seems to me in my experience what the ego actually does is spend a lot of time criticizing and putting one down, and I just wonder if you have any thoughts about what, what its strategy is, or is that how it keeps us enthralled? That's the key word, strategy. Because strategy is always like a twofold, a multifold process. There's a strategy. You know, there's a plan and then there's a backup plan. Like ego is like the chief strategizer. You know, because it's going to set you up up here, but it's always got something down under here. You know, it's going to let you get really high only so that it can chop you down and, and watch you fall. So, of course, it's going to puff you up just so that it can pop your balloon, burst your bubble. You know, that's ego's game. It's the spoiler. So, you know, our, our role, our job is to spoil the spoiler. It's hard because there's so many tricks of ego's imagination. It's conjured up this whole beautiful world of illusion and convinced us that it is beautiful, right? So we consume our own consumption in that way. Therefore, you have to watch. Your job is to, like, parse all of your identity constructs and look through the entire spectrum of ego identity and how it creates itself and maintains its existence. It's called reality mapping. It's an arduous process, but it's so worthwhile because you get to see all the subtle tricks, you know, of ego and how it cons you into believing in I. <coughs> I. And look at, all the, look at all the different eyes you are. Just look at all the different eyes you are. Then you'll see all the different ways in which ego sets sets you or other people up and it will help you negotiate more. does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah ego is never just one thing it's encoded it's dualistic right so whatever's on the outside contains the opposite on the inside that's why buddha teaches on impermanence because that just shows you like the dualistic nature of the egoistic phenomena, it cannot last because it's encoded with opposites, with its, with its own undoing. So therefore, Buddha teaches on impermanence so you don't believe in your thought. That the teaching of impermanence is not abstract. It's not something that Buddha thought up. It's like how ego operates and functions. So... Myself, yes, which is, I really like this idea of the two types of meditation. And yeah. I, I think where I am is at this place where I am able to have the insight and I can connect at times mm -hmm. with the suffering. And it can be a very intense connection yeah. and brings up sadness and other things. And it's the release that I am personally having a problem with. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? It, it seems like the insight itself is that's half of the battle, but I don't yeah. know how to get through that. You, for you, you need to stabilize in the quiescent aspect of just not believing in thought, like condition yourself to not believe in that thought and to be able to like, you need to give yourself more hang time in the empty space, right? So that when you get into the penetrative space and you're able to like get into the suffering, there's a lot of room to breathe because you know when you get down in there, it's suffocating. So when you get into that suffocating space, you need to do so in an arena that's very vast and open 
And what, what you need to do is maybe refrain from getting deeper in and practice stabilizing your mind more so that you can experience more quiescence and openness or more emptiness. So you have a, a greater sense of personal space, a greater sense of safety and peace where you can get deeper in there and really hash it out with yourself. If you don't have enough room, it's very difficult to unravel and release. So you need to create a greater context you know, in which to be able to really unfold. So it just takes a little more training to really open yourself up and relax you know, and develop more flexibility with the mind. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes? So, uh, I, I'm, I think what I'm hearing is a sequence, of, in a way, is, is from my own, own experience, is, is that I, um, as I've kind of deepened my practice in, in meditation, hmm. I've experienced impermanence in a different way. I actually see, once I still my mind enough, there's this kind of, mm-hmm. it's like things are changing constantly, and I get that sense. And it seems the outcome of that seems to be this, there are moments where I actually don't believe my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But it's the outcome. It's not like I've made a decision on not to believe my thoughts. It's more like I've experienced impermanence, and so obviously these thoughts are just, is that kind of what you're trying to describe? Is that correct? Well, there's, there's active meditation, and yeah. like there's meditation, and then there's post-meditation. Okay. So... What you're describing is like the meditation experience. In the post-meditation experience, it is being more consciously aware of not. It's being more proactive with not believing, but not saying, I'm not believing in my thought because that's another thought. (laughs) And that's a very, yeah, that's a subtle overlay. So, I mean, what you're experiencing is what happens naturally when you have the space to just abide and observe what's happening within you. How you bring that into how you integrate that into your daily life is is a little bit different. There's a different dynamic at work there. So, so So yeah, just let it unfold naturally. Mm-hmm. Continue to let it unfold naturally. Without pressuring any yeah. any result for any result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're onto it. So just let it keep mm-hmm. let it let it unfold as a self occurrence mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to force your will with mm-hmm. it. You understand? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a self occurrence. Yeah. I'm afraid we only have one time time for one last question. Maybe we can ask that, and then will you be around afterwards? Yeah. Great. Yes. Um, I've recently been reading and doing some practice in Jack Kornfeld for the last hard about Buddhist psychology, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I just try doing a little bit, and he talks about in Japan a therapeutic and I think Buddhist practice uh, for alleviating depression and suffering generally is gratitude practice, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you might have anything to say about that. Yeah, for me, my personal experience with obstacles, depression, anxiety, fear, whatever, is totally to bring them into your heart. You know, like there's there's this great Buddhist saint named Milarepa. Some people have heard of Milarepa. He meditated in a cave for many years, and when it came time for him to awaken, like all these demons just like like befell, 
him and just were torturing him. And he tried to do everything within his power, like to expel them and kick them out. And finally one day he had this great idea to like welcome them <laughs> into his cave and serve them tea. And then they fled and never came back. <laughs> so, yeah, being grateful is definitely where it's at. Yeah. That's the attitude to maintain. Thank you so much, also. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. We have, uh, I know, some announcements. And um, also, would you like to start with uh, the, the seminars that you were uh, interested in or teaching? Yeah, personally, I'm, I'm going to be doing a few classes coming up. So if anyone wants to get with me uh, afterward, we can, we can chat about that. It's going to be like a six-week like total psychic and psychological deconstruction process, like parsing the entire uh, identity construct. So there's a very specific... Um, application of Buddhist psychology, uh, meditation, and ener some energy medicine and healing transmissions that are involved, and that's going to unfold in the beginning of next year, and it's it's pretty effective. There's a few people here who've gone through that with me. Um, and then, you know, I'm here not as a representative, but, you know, as, as a student of Grandmaster Li Tian Chen, and my wife and I support his activity, and Laura's here and she serves as his translator and administrator. He's, he's an incomparable master. And so whatever benefit you know, that you might experience coming through my teaching is really empowered by the guidance and blessing that I've received from this extraordinary being from China. His name is Grandmaster Li Tianchen, and he's founded a school of Qigong healing and soul transformation and ascension, taught largely through Taoist philosophy and the alchemical process. Uh, and that goes on in Berkeley, and there's, we have ongoing classes and... Uh, they're profound. I mean, the results are profound for people, and the healing, um, the healing that people experience is, is really incomparable. Like the methodology is so pure and so profound and protected. So, if are there are people who are interested in healing depression, in healing anxiety, who have had chronic illness or things that are incurable, um, this is a really good place to look. A lot of people come to Tiangong as kind of a last resort when they have some kind of like incurable disease or illness or, or, you know, really having some psychological problems or spiritual problems. Like this, this school um, is very effective um, in providing solutions that are almost immediate. So I can happily share some information with you about this school. It's called Tiangong International Foundation and it's in Berkeley and there are classes ongoing. And uh, Grandmaster happens to be in the States right now teaching, so it could be quite effective for some of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.